0: Welcome to our latest episode of Let's Read Out. I'm really excited for my next guest. He is known as the Stanford MSK guy. His YouTube channel has over 26,000 followers. In residency, I used to watch his approach to shoulder, knee, elbow, and his board review. And now I am grateful and honored to call him a friend, a colleague, and a mentor. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chris Bolio. Chris, what's on the agenda for today's
1: show? Well, thank you, Lindsay. We're gonna talk about how to approach bone lesions on cross-sectional imaging, specifically on CT scans today.
0: Chris, what are some of the most common curbside consults you get from individuals who are body subspecialty?
1: I think the most common thing, and we're outside of trauma, for example, uh, are, are focal lesions and sometimes diffuse disease in the bones that's seen that's kind of usually incidentally picked up rather than something that's, you know, expected like metastatic disease. So it's the the tricky kind of solitary lesion that's like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know what this is.
0: I suspect, Chris, that the majority of these lesions are benign.
1: You know, I think that's correct. I think the vast majority of things we get consulted on are probably benign. Obviously, there's a bias to the input function, right? Um, I always say that, you know, y'all don't show us the easy cases, you show us the hard cases, right? So it's, it's not, there's a, there's a whole spectrum of clearly benign all the way to clearly aggressive, and it's all these in between things that are, are more challenging, and that's uh, where hopefully our expertise as bone radiologists comes in.
0: And how do we evaluate lesions as more aggressive versus non-aggressive?
1: So, you know, I think what you want to think about is, is hearkening back to whatever vague recollections you may have of taking, uh, plain film bone, you know, as a resident. And so the, uh, Simple things like, you know, clinical history is obviously important, and single or solitary versus multiple. But then when you look at a lesion, think about things like, uh, first of all, you know, the density of the lesion. Is it lucent or sclerotic or mixed? Uh, Also the borders. And probably, if anything, the borders are one of the most important things of all, from sharply defined and sclerotic borders all the way up to more aggressive, like, poorly defined non-sclerotic borders. So that's what those are general principles.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the utility of additional imaging and when I should be ordering plain films or recommending a bone scan, PET CT, or MRI?
1: So there's a few things you can do, you know, short of doing additional studies. Um, I think, you know, analyzing the lesion carefully is obviously paramount. Um, And, you know, not to offend anyone, but it's not that uncommon for us to be shown a lesion and then go back into the patient's uh, medical record and jacket and actually you find, gee, oh, wait, there was a CT angio done 10 years ago that showed the same thing, or there was an MRI of the spine that happened to include something on this localizer. So those are obvious, hopefully obvious things. Um, And, you know, it, it turns out that in the world of Focal bone lesions. That it's still true that the radiographs are often more specific for the type of abnormality than uh, MRI or cross-sectional imaging. So, so don't skip plain radiographs. Um, and then, definitely MRI is a very useful tool for helping to differentiate things from like aggressive or non-aggressive. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention is another analysis point is always look at the density of the lesion. And so for the radiolucent or, lytic-type-looking lesions, look to see if the internal density is soft tissue density, or could it be fluid density, water density, or could it be fat? And fat's really critical to identify because, you know, it's almost entirely true that, that lesions that contain fat are going to be benign. Um, And it might just be normal marrow fat, but it might be, um, you know, fat within a lesion that's, uh, you know, a lipomatous lesion or hemangioma or sometimes Paget disease has fat within it. Um, So those are a couple of points. Um, MRI, again, super helpful. I think the PET-CT question really relies on in typically patients that have a known malignancy, is it a malignancy that tends to go to bone? And also, if so, or regardless, is it a is it a PET positive uh, tumor, right? So, so is it something like, um, you know, a lymphoma or uh, breast cancer or melanoma, things that are PET positive versus things that may be PET negative. For example, prostate cancer may not help you to do a a, a flora, uh, glucose PET CT because it's not that helpful in terms of the activity.
0: That's a great point, Chris. I know I certainly don't uh, do Hounsfield units enough and look at the internal density as much as I should be. I'd like to segue into asking you more about metastatic disease, osseous metastatic disease specifically, as we we do encounter um, a lot of oncology imaging. I guess what are what are the hot spots? Um, what what should I be looking at most carefully?
1: Um. So you know, spine is a is a high yield area for seeing destructive lesions and obviously one needs to be very careful about looking for spinal canal involvement in compression fractures and pathologic fractures. Um, around the hip is really a high risk area too and it's it's high risk because it's fairly common to get lesions in the proximal femurs and uh, they're weight-bearing bones and um, the fractures can be you know very devastating in terms of uh, prognosis for the patient and functional status so those are some of the areas that we look at most carefully
0: those are some great points uh... chris you know it's a reflex sometimes i put no pathological fracture but what should I be looking for that may be uh, cluing me into an impending fracture or at risk for? What what makes someone um, more likely to be developing a pathological fracture that I should be on the lookout for?
1: Yeah, again, if you look at uh, the 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 skeletal structures. Lesions that are just within the medullary cavity of a bone, let's say in the proximal femur, like around the hip, uh, they, they may be lytic, but if they don't involve much of the cortex, they're probably not putting the patient at a very high risk for fracture. So so cortical involvement is an important thing. And just the, the net size of the lesion as well. Um, and probably things that are more lytic tend to be more Likely to fracture than things that are sclerotic.
0: Another issue that arises in a lot of our oncology patients is insufficiency fractures uh, after pelvic radiation, especially in cervical cancer or prostate cancer. Can you uh, speak to your approach about uh, those sacral um, findings?
1: So, yeah, the sacrum is a tricky area, and. Um, it's true that these insufficiency fractures are pretty common and they can be pretty subtle, but you want to look for kind of linear sclerosis typically involving the upper part of the sacrum, the sacral ala tend to be bilateral um, and in older patients often with a history of radiation and I would say it's another area of common consultation with us and you know, if I, if I think of maybe, 50 cases of this that I've been shown over the years probably 48 of them have been benign insufficiency fractures. And uh, so you want to use principles you'd use for any other lesion and looking for actually, you know, destructive change in the bone or soft tissue mass um, are helpful things. You might have metabolic information from a pet although fractures can be can be hot as well or at least warm. Another thing about the sacrum that in in trauma, and this is not talking about tumors, but is that um, the sagittal plane is really critical to look at. And I can't tell you how many sacral fractures uh, we miss because they're so subtle on an axial or coronal plane because that bone is curving so much. So if you have the sagittals that perpendicular to the sacrum, then you want to look at the contour anteriorly and you want to look at, you know, angulation and little cracks that you might not otherwise see.
0: I'll definitely keep those pearls in mind. Uh, I also wanted to bring up the topic of hardware, as we often do see a lot of hardware, especially in the in the pelvis from uh, hip arthroplasties or, or femoral nailing. What are some quick tips uh, that you have for me uh, when examining hardware?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and it gets uh, a little bit tricky because the hardware often causes a lot of streak artifact, and uh, there's a tendency to try to just kind of write it off and say, well, I can't see anything around there. Um, The the newer scanners and reconstructions have these metal artifact reduction sequences, which which I think are somewhat helpful. They don't really solve the metal problem. But in general, I think things to look for uh, or to be aware of are that Around joint prostheses, in particular, the patients can get what's called osteolysis, and they get kind of lytic changes in the bone that can look like a tumor and that can cause masses, uh, but are related to uh, just like particle disease and the body's reaction to these particles and causing osteolysis. So that's a definite thing to look for. Um, Often that's associated with wear of the polyethylene liner, so you can look for whether the femoral head looks like it's eccentric within the cup or not. Um, and I think you just have to be diligent about window leveling carefully around the orthopedic hardware or the really wide window to try to kind of see through the, uh, you know, see the bone immediately surrounding the hardware. To some extent you can improve visualization by using reformations like three thin sections in the axial acquisition and then Reformatting in sagittal or coronal, and and in general, I didn't, didn't touch on this before, but just you know, we we tend to live in a mostly transverse image world in uh, CT, but but when evaluating lesions, and again, I think about the pelvis and hips, definitely the reformatted images can be super helpful. Think about something like avascular necrosis of the hips. You know, just when you look at your coronal images. Spin through the hips and uh, just check for AVN or other or arthropathic type lesions.
0: And in terms of the positioning, what should I be commenting on?
1: So I mentioned about the osteolysis question, and that can happen like around the acetabulum. It can happen around the shoulder as well, but just th- think about the hip for a minute. The uh, the issue of loosening or infection in prostheses is another one, right? So in the femoral stem, you might see lucency between the stem and the bone or at the cement bone interface. And uh, that's abnormal if it's more than a few millimeters thick or if it's kind of ir- irregular along the stem. And again, you know, the cross-sectional is helpful, but nice plain old radiographs are helpful too. So if you see something on in a hardware case, check and see if the patient's had recent radiographs, and if they haven't, that might be a useful next step, easy thing to do to help evaluate it better.
0: Going back to using the density, Chris, um, I remember at AIRP, um, they, such a great pearl about using the density for bone, bone islands. Um, what are your thoughts about that?
1: So, you know, there's a number of lesions that are quite common benign lesions. And in the sclerotic category, uh, bone islands are quite common. And so one looks for a fairly uniform sclerotic lesion, and they tend to be really high density. So there's been recent work that came out that actually measured the Hounsfield units within bone islands. And I think the number that's thrown around is like 885 or something, or let's just say 900 Hounsfield units and so that's a very dense lesion, if you can get an accurate measurement within it, depending on the size. Um, metastatic disease that's sclerotic, let's say breast cancer or prostate or neuroendocrine, it very, very rarely would get that dense. It might if it got treated or something like that, but but that density measurement on a lesion that otherwise you think could be a bone island is really quite helpful. It can have like the stellate borders and be fairly well-defined. They can be fairly large, too, so that's... Um, important to know, but just measure the density, and that might really help you just make an easy decision about a bone island.
0: Can changes in density clue you into treatment response of metastatic lesions?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's challenging to assess treatment response of bone lesions unless you see changes that are, are really healing going on. And you may have seen cases of for example multiple myeloma that have a pretty large lytic lesion that that undergoes some healing and actually it's amazing how the bones can kind of reconstitute like i've seen this happen in ribs for example but otherwise um you want to see to hopefully some regression of the aggressive features like the border becoming more well-defined or perhaps more sclerosis um but unlike say lung lesions or liver lesions or lymph nodes, bone lesions are not likely to shrink down that, because once the bone is affected, it's usually going to stay about the same size, and so you can't really use dimensions as a very helpful metric. And that's why I think in oncology, most of the treatment responses are, tend to be based on other, other than bone lesions.
0: Any other commonly curbsided topics um, not often, not often uh, talked about?
1: Yeah, so there's there are several common things that come up that maybe people aren't quite so familiar with and one is in the pelvis patients that have had bone graft harvested along the iliac crest and it can be it can be either posterior or it could be anterior there's there's nerves that the surgeons try to avoid and so there's certain areas that they go um, but that will lead to a defect in the bone, often includes or has some fat density within the area, so that's another helpful feature, and this should be fairly well defined. So when I see a case that I think might be a bone graft harvest, I look on PACS and I try to see, oh, has this patient had a lumbar fusion or cervical spine fusion, and they donated their bone you know, to another part of their body. The other thing that's really quite common are cysts or geodes about hips, for example. And so patients with arthritis may get these perforations in the cortex that lead fluid to percolate in and create cystic lesions right around the joints. And they can get fairly large. Uh, they tend to look benign in that they, they're uh, well-defined and may well have a sclerotic border to them. But unless you, unless you recognize that you're dealing with a lesion that's coming from the joint, um, you could be kind of misled.
0: Chris, uh, with that sound, I'd like to segue into a segment I like to call In the Hot Seat and bring a resident on who would like to ask you a question.
1: Hi, Dr. Bolio. this is Ben Park. I'm a first year radiology resident. Um, Do you have any suggestions, what kind of things that I should look for on a bone window, on a CT of the pelvis? Yeah, so how to systematically evaluate the the skeletal structures. I'll say one thing is that ribs are really annoying, right? There's a lot of them, and, um, you know, you can go systematically through them. You definitely want to look carefully because fractures are are so common. Um, What I have found, and use this for the ribs as well as for uh, the spine, are sagittal images. And um, I just go quickly through the sagittals of all the ribs and uh, also do the same thing for spine. Obviously, for spine, that's really helpful because you're looking for compression deformities, you want to take a look at the spinal canal and things like that. So that's helpful. And then in the pelvis, I always use the coronal images because I want to take a look at the hips and the sacroiliac joints. And I mentioned a a bit ago also about the sacrum being kind of a pitfall. If you're just using coronal or axial, you really want to use the sagittal to look at the sacrum um, for contour deformities or fractures and things like that.
0: We're just about out of time, um, but is there anything else uh, that you'd like to comment about?
1: So, yeah, this is a complicated topic and I'm happy to get a chance to talk to you about it. Um, uh, I have a lecture on this subject that I'm planning to post on my YouTube channel, which is just under my name. Um, It's not under the bone guy, Um, and that's hopefully going to be up soon. And we also wrote an article on this for a journal in abdominal imaging in um, 2017. It's kind of the incidental bone lesion management tips for abdominal radiologists. And there's some more recent things that have come out in SAR as well. So, so there's some literature on this that you can look at and try to improve your skills. Um, I think you know one one last thing I like to say is, if you're in an institution where you have orthopedic oncology specialists. Often these lesions that are indeterminate can be really well managed by the experts in that area. And so, you know, you can do some workup, but then you may suggest that they get referred to orthopedic oncology for either surveillance or biopsy or further workup, you know, based on those experts.
0: Chris, thank you for a wonderful show. It feels so surreal. I remember, you know, five years ago, just watching your knee videos and and now to be sitting down, having a discussion with you, uh, such a, such a dream come true. And, uh, you've definitely inspired my academic career and just, uh, pushed me to be a better, better teacher as well. So thank you so much.
1: Well, Lindsay, I tell you, this has been an incredible honor to be part of your podcast and I hope it's helpful for the, the listeners that could endure, you know, my, uh, my wonderful voice and uh, incredible uh, expert analyses, so thank you for for having me and uh, you know if if it gets high enough ratings, maybe we'll do a part two.
0: I have no doubts uh, that this episode will be extremely popular and and people including myself will will certainly want you to come back for a part two, if not a part three and four. Uh, Thank you very much, Dr. Bolio, and I hope everyone takes a little time outside of the reading room uh, to relax and enjoy this amazing new spring weather uh, that will soon be upon
1: us.